0: Expositional preaching is preaching where the the content and the intent of a passage in the Bible is the content and the intent of the sermon and never the other way around. An expositional sermon is like a water skier behind a towboat. And the towboat is the biblical text and wherever the boat goes, the preacher and the sermon goes. And that's our practice here at Veritas, expositional preaching. But sometimes we come to a place in our verse by verse study of books of the Bible that requires a break to look more closely at a foundational doctrine. Well, we're toward the end of an expositional series on 1st Corinthians, and we are set to examine chapter 14 next. But before moving on, we are going to take a break and consider a foundational doctrine, namely the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that we're doing that is because most Christians come to Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians with a lot of presuppositions about the Holy Spirit. For example, on one end of the spectrum, you can find churches that practically deny the experience of the Holy Spirit. It may actually be said that they functionally believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Some would go as far as to call them Holy Spirit atheists. That's one end of the spectrum. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are churches who overemphasize experience, who misunderstand and fixate on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some may even use as their logo a dove, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, which, as we'll see, is probably offensive to the Holy Spirit. And then in between those two extremes, you have a lot of shallow understandings of what the Bible teaches regarding the Holy Spirit. So the main aim of this brief sermon series is to get us on the same page together as best we can. The subtitle of this series you'll see on the front of your bulletin is Focusing the Identity and Ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we each have, as of this morning, we each have a perspective or we each have a view of the Holy Spirit. And imagine that view Through a set of binoculars. And that view, whether we know it or not, it is either accurate or it's not. It's either clear or it is blurry. So, using the Bible, it's our plan to bring into focus the image of the Holy Spirit that we see, to bring into focus the identity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, this morning, We will be looking specifically at the identity of the Holy Spirit. Opening our Bibles and asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And this is very basic, often overlooked, but critical truths. And as we move forward, remember... That this is God's word that we're opening together. That we're looking for answers to all of life's questions, including this question in God's word. Because we believe that in God's word alone, we find the answers. In God's word alone, we come to understand who God is and how we relate to God love Him, and worship Him. So as always, we need God's help if we'll understand His Word together. So will you please bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, will you please reach us with Your Word and by Your Spirit today? Reveal Yourself to us so that We would love you and one another more deeply. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 16. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you will find today's text on page 848. Keep your place there, and we'll come to it shortly The Holy Spirit throughout history has been called many different names. The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Christ. The Helper. The Paraclete. The Spirit of God. The Advocate. The Witness. The Holy Ghost. But who actually, who is the Holy Spirit? We'll see today the Bible gives three answers. I'm not saying that this is all the Bible says about the identity of the Holy Spirit. But these are three important statements regarding who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe the most important things the Bible has to say about who the Holy Spirit is. I think they are. So here are three. Biblically clear truths that are foundational to anything we believe about the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, you may want to write these down. We'll go through each of them this morning. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Number two, the Holy Spirit is a person. Specifically, the third person of the Trinity. And number three, the Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Jesus Christ. Now, before going to these three points, in point two, I mentioned a term that we need to make sure that we all understand and that word is trinity. The word trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept definitely is. It is a word that means tri unity or three in oneness and it is used to describe the biblical teaching that God is Three persons, yet one God. So let me read you a couple statements. These are both going to be from the 1689. And by the 1689, I mean the London Baptist Confession of Faith that was written in 1689. And a confession of faith, if you're not familiar with what that is, it is simply a summary of what the Bible teaches. And we all have creeds and we all have confessions. We all have things that we believe the Bible says. And throughout history, people have often written those down. So one of those confessions is the London Baptist Confession of Faith, written in 1689. And this is what it says in paragraph 1 of chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the very first sentence. Of that paragraph, and it says, the Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. So paragraph one in that chapter on what the Bible teaches about God begins with the Lord our God is one. Christians believe that there is one God. And that sets Christians apart from many other religions. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 45.5 I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no God. First Timothy two, five, for there is one God. And in the book we've been studying, First Corinthians chapter eight, verse four, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. The Bible makes this clear. Over and over and over again. There are not many gods. There are not several gods. There is not two gods. We believe because the Bible teaches that there is one God. And then. Here is how the 1689 begins paragraph three of that same chapter. This divine and infinite being, that is, this one God, this divine and infinite being consists of three real persons. The Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you heard how it began. This divine and infinite being consists of three real persons Christians believe that our one God consists of three persons God is one but God is also three you can hear that in the following passages the very beginning of the Bible Genesis 1 26 this is God saying let us not let me make man in my image, but let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is a reference to the three persons of God. Genesis chapter 11, verse 7. Come again, this is God. Let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And then as we read through the Bible, we discover that these three persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here they are in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of gifts of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Hercules Collins put it simply in question 25. Of his orthodox catechism. The question is. Since there is but one God. Christian. Why do you speak of three? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Answer. Because. That it is that that. Because that. Is how God has revealed himself. In his word. These three distinct persons. Are one True, eternal God. So, God is one. There is only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are three distinct persons. In other words, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. This is the Trinity. God is one God, yet in three persons. Now, that is something that we can explain as Christians, but not understand. One plus one plus one equals one. See? That doesn't make sense, does it? Our finite minds, it doesn't make sense. That's not logical. Don't pretend that when you hear the Trinity explained that that makes perfect, logical sense to you. Of course, it doesn't. It is beyond our comprehension, It's beyond our understanding. How can one God be three distinct persons and yet one God? We can explain what the Bible teaches regarding the Trinity, but it is still a mystery. So Samuel Waldron says, the creeds of the church fence this ministry. They do not explain it. The incomprehensibility of God means that the doctrines of the faith will involve holy mysteries which transcend human reason and contradict fleshly wisdom there are many things Christian that you believe and when you explain to someone who is not a Christian what you believe it makes no sense to them and they say that is stupid or the biblical word that is foolish that's folly it is foolishness you do not believe it Because it now makes logical sense to you. You believe it because the word of God has told you it is true. And by faith, you believe it. And it's settled in your mind. And it's settled in your heart. And you don't have to justify that. You don't have to explain that. You don't have to feel guilty about that. You don't have to feel bad about that. The word of God says it. And I believe it. But to explain some of these things so that someone who doesn't know God or someone who doesn't believe that the Bible is God's word. Will accept and understand it. Well, you would not either. Apart from God revealing these things to you. And enabling you to by faith believe that what God's word says is true. This is the Trinity. Trinity. So that prepares us now for our three points regarding the identity of the Holy Spirit. And because of our overview of the doctrine of the Trinity, we'll be able to move through these first two very quickly. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. We've already proven this through our look at the triune nature of God. But let me show you a place where this truth is made plain, that the Holy Spirit is God. In Acts chapter 5, two people, Ananias and Sapphira, they are in big trouble. And they are in trouble because they have come into some money, and they have lied about how much money they made so that they could appear more generous than they actually were. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, he confronts them with these words in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And listen carefully to what this has to do with the Holy Spirit is God. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. According to Peter. To lie to the Holy Spirit. Was to lie to God. Because, of course, the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. This is exactly why it is crucial. For us to know and understand the Holy Spirit. Because he is God. This foundational doctrine cannot be taken lightly. And this is exactly why. The Holy Spirit is God. And if he's God... We must know him. We must honor him. We must love him. So number one. The Holy Spirit is God. Number two. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. This has also been proven to us already. But let me point something out to you. Throughout Scripture. Throughout the Bible, the pronoun used to describe the Holy Spirit is never it. The pronoun used to describe the Holy Spirit is always, it is exclusively, he Some people think of the Holy Spirit as if it is some kind of life force. Some sort of thing. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a He. And so the Holy Spirit is a person. And because the Holy Spirit is a person, we relate to Him, and He relates to us. He teaches us, John 14, 26. He testifies about Jesus to us, John 15, 26. He intercedes or prays for us Romans 8:26 and 27 he knows our thoughts 2 Corinthians 2:11 I'm sorry 1 Corinthians 2:11 he distributes gifts to us 1 Corinthians 12:11 and this is not all the holy spirit does as he relates to us And he is grieved by our sin. Grieved. He is grieved by our sin. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is a person. And now third, the Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Jesus Christ. This is so important. There is nothing more important to understand about the identity of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the Christian life than this right here. For you as a Christian living the difficult Christian life, there is nothing more important for us to understand. This reality is central and foundational to all ministry of the Holy Spirit. Before we think about empowerment from the Holy Spirit, before we think about giftedness that the Holy Spirit brings, before we talk about the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it is the presence that the Holy Spirit is. And nothing is more important. And it brings us to our main text. So if you've kept your place there, John chapter 16. This passage here is from the farewell discourse, which is the last bit of teaching that Jesus passes on to his disciples in John chapter 13 through 16. This was on the night that he is betrayed. The next day he's going to be crucified. And in this discourse, he has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. That is something that he wanted to talk a lot about to his followers in this last time he had with them before he was betrayed and crucified. So let's begin in verse 5. Jesus says, and I'm just going to stop periodically and make sure that we're all tracking. John 16, verse 5. But now, I am going to him who sent me. Jesus means God the Father. I am soon going, he is saying. I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Where he's going is not as important to his disciples as he's going. He's he's leaving. He has been their most intimate companion for the last three years. He is their Lord. He is their Savior. He is their closest friend. They they cannot imagine life without him. And so they are filled with sorrow. They are filled with sorrow at the thought of losing their best friend. Being left. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is for your good. They're sorrowful to the heart. It doesn't feel that way. But Jesus says, look, this is for your good that I go away. And he's not talking about his sacrificial death, which will certainly be for their good. But we'll see, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about his ascension. That my ascension, that that I'm going to go away to be with the father. So he's looking ahead after his death, after his resurrection. He'll be with them again, but then he's going to go away and go back to the one who sent him. He is going to leave them. He is going to go to their father. He's going to physically, physically Leave them. Why is that to their advantage? He says, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Think about this. What is Jesus saying? is he not saying that better than Jesus with them will be the helper with them? Haven't you ever thought how great it would be to walk with Jesus? Can you imagine that? Have you ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Been caught up in any one of those stories and what do you do? You picture it in your mind as if you were there. Can you imagine sharing a meal with Jesus? Can you imagine him giving sight to the blind and making lame people walk or raising Lazarus from the dead? Can you imagine singing with him or listening to him pray and watching him live and, and sleeping next to him and traveling town to town? I mean, you can understand why the disciples were filled with sorrow at the thought of Jesus leaving them. But then Jesus tells them that it is for your good that I physically leave you. Because when I physically leave you, then the helper is going to come and be with you. Better than Jesus with them will be the helper with them. Who is the Helper? We'll flip over to make it clear to John 15, 26, where Jesus had a few minutes ago said, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, the Helper is the Holy Spirit. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this text here in John 15, 26 is one of the reasons that he is called the third person of the Trinity because he is sent by the Father and the Son. So the disciples were filled with sorrow because Jesus was leaving them but Jesus tells them it is for their good he leaves, because once he does, he will send the Holy Spirit. And listen to how Jesus puts this in John 14, verses 16 through 18. All of this is a part of his last bit of teaching he gives them. John fourteen sixteen says... And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. I've been your Helper, but now another Helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you, and now listen to verse 18. And remember the sorrow that the disciples had. Jesus is leaving us. And now, talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He's cared for them. He's provided for them. He has spiritually loved them and nurtured them and given them everything they need. And now their provider they fear, their caretaker they fear, their shepherd they fear is going to go away. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you like abandoned orphans. He says, I'm coming back to you. I will come to you. Jesus is not talking about his resurrection. He is not talking about his future return to judge the world. He is clearly talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Jesus Christ. Sinclair Ferguson writes... So complete is the union between Jesus and the Holy Spirit that the coming of the latter is the coming of Jesus himself in the Spirit. Jesus will be present with his people through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Jesus Christ. Now remember... The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. That's not what's being said. But but the Holy Spirit was the intimate companion of Jesus throughout his ministry. So much so that to have the Spirit, this is the language of the Bible, to have the Spirit is to have Jesus. And to lack the Spirit is to lack Jesus. Jesus. To have the Holy Spirit is to have the presence of Jesus. To not have the Holy Spirit is to be outside the presence of Jesus. And so, in numerous places in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to as what? The Spirit of Christ. Acts 16, 7. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Referring to the Holy Spirit. Philippians 1, 18b-19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Or listen to how Paul puts this in Romans 8, verses 9 and 10. You, however, talking to Christians, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, If the Holy Spirit is in you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. To have the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus. To be, and every Christian is, indwelt by the Holy Spirit is to have the presence of Jesus Christ. G.I. Packer has a quote in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, which... I think is one of the most helpful books on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and it's a very balanced book and though he has a definite understanding of who the Holy Spirit and what he does, he writes graciously with kindness. But he says this about this very thing we're talking about, he asks these questions. What is the essence, heart, and core of the Spirit's work today? What is the central focal element in his many-sided ministry, is there one basic activity to which his work of empowering, enabling, purifying and presenting must be related in order to be fully understood? Is there a single divine strategy that unites all these facets of his life giving action as means to an end? And his rhetorical answer is yes, absolutely. And here's what he writes. The spirit makes known the personal presence in and with the Christian of the risen, reigning Savior, the Jesus of history, who is the Christ of faith. Jesus is our helper. The Greek word is paraclete, and it's used to describe Jesus in 1 John 2, 1. And that very same word used to describe Jesus is the word that Jesus uses throughout this farewell discourse to call the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper The word paraclete, there's nothing like it in the English language. You'd have to write down like 15 words to get at its meaning. Comforter. Counselor. Helper. Advocate. Strengthener. Supporter. The Holy Spirit is. The promised presence of Jesus Christ, and we'll see many implications of this in the weeks to come. But the Holy Spirit, indwelling a Christian. Bringing the promised presence of Jesus Christ is an experience. The Holy Spirit, Christian, is in you. Jesus is with you right now. And this afternoon, tomorrow morning, what was the word Jesus used? And forever. The Holy Spirit is with you. This is different than his word is with you. His word is with you. His truth is with you. And you can open God's word. By his grace you have access to it. And you can read his word and you can be encouraged by his word and you can be comforted by his word and you can be helped by his word. And we would champion all those things. But also, Jesus himself is with you. He is present with you. And so your close friend who is gone and you're helped by their letters and you're helped by their words And you are helped by their phone call. But it is something entirely different when they are with you. And their arm is around you. And their presence is felt. Christian, Jesus is with you. Do you need strength? Christ is with you. Do you need advocacy? Do you condemn yourself? Do your thoughts condemn yourself? Your sins condemning you? Your failures condemning you? Are other people condemning you? Is your comparing yourself to someone else condemning you? Do you need advocacy? Christ is with you. Christ is in you. Do you need comfort? Christ is in you. Do you need help? Christ is in you. If you're not a Christian this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do in you what he has done in me. The Bible says in John chapter 3, if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that you need to be born again it says you need to be born of the spirit. It means you need to be given new life so that you would see what you don't see right now. So that you would know. Who Jesus is and what he's done so that you would believe and turn to him. As your Lord and as your Savior. First Peter I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5 talks about the Thessalonians receiving the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you are hearing God's word and you are hearing the good news of the gospel. But it will fall on deaf ears unless it comes to you in power. And the way it comes to you in power is if the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. And then it will ring as truth in your heart. And so I would pray that that might happen today. If that does happen. Or if that has recently happened. And you are being drawn to God's word and you are believing what you are hearing and you did not believe it before and There is maybe even already love in your heart for God and desire for Him that there wasn't before. I would love to speak to you. I'm sure many here would and like to hear what's going on and how we might pray for you or help you. I'll stay up front after the service if you'd like to come and talk to me for a few minutes. I would enjoy that very much. For those of you who are Christians, do you know who the Holy Spirit is? He is God. He is a person. He is the promised presence of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying do you know about him. I mean, do you know him? He has caused you to be born again. He has given you new life. He has opened your eyes. He's comforted you. Many times. He's helped you. Many times. He has spared you. Who knows how much. He strengthened you. He has kept your faith when it was so brittle from breaking. He has encouraged you. He has been to you the very presence of Jesus Christ. And he assures you. And he seals you. Until the day you meet Jesus face to face. Now, every Sunday, following every sermon, we respond as Christians this morning. Probably with gratitude. For the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ in us. And we take communion together and we do this in obedience to Jesus. And in remembrance of what he accomplished for us on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 and following says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And so as we remember and proclaim the Lord's sacrificial death this morning, you are invited to take communion with us. If you are a baptized believer. If you have turned from sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And if you are committed to a local church, whether it's this or another one that faithfully preaches the same gospel that you heard here today. We'll have leaders up front who want to serve you. And if you would come forward and take the bread and the juice and then return to your seat and we'll take it together as a family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for the day in and day out presence of your Son, Thank you, God, for the help your Spirit brings and the comfort, the advocacy, the witness, the testifying, the praying, the strength. God, we know that if Jesus had not died, if he did not rise from the dead, and then go to be with and reign with you that we would not have this Holy Spirit. So thank you, Holy Spirit. For coming to us. For indwelling us, for filling us. For strengthening us and empowering us. For reminding us who we are and who we belong to. And that is the great and sovereign, holy creator. Of all things. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.